Before we jump into today's episode of Survivor Sanctuary, I want to let you know that you can become a supporter of this podcast and help offset some of the costs of bringing this podcast to you each week. You can visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary, click on donate, and you can give an amount starting at 99 cents a month and going up to $9.99 a month. If you love the podcast and you want to keep new episodes coming to you, then visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary and become a monthly donor today. More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. It is Kelly. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. A quick reminder that there are a couple of ways that you can connect with me and with other listeners of Survivor Sanctuary. You can, of course, join us on our Facebook group page. It's Survivor Sanctuary Podcast. You just do a search for that on Facebook and you can request to join. You'll be asked one question, you just answer it, and you'll be part of the group, and you can join our conversations there. And we have some really great ones. Another way that you can connect, if you would rather not publicly say something and you want to get a hold of me, the best way to do that is via email, kelly at survivorsanctuary.com. So if you email me there, I will respond to you. And that's just a couple of ways that you can connect with the Survivor Sanctuary podcast and with me as well. And I'd love to hear from Survivor Sanctuary listeners, survivors in general. And if you ever have any questions or comments or anything like that, I would love to hear from you. Well, we're going to dive into today's episode. And I am sure that this topic is going to be a conversation had on almost every single podcast that has to do with sexual abuse in the church this week, because it's just a story that is really difficult to ignore if you spend any time online, on social media, reading any news. I have seen no less than 20 articles about Russell Moore's leaked email. Was it a letter or an email? Not positive, but a leaked document outlining more crud in the leadership of the SBC. And I want to stop right here because I know that not every person who listens to this podcast is a member of the Southern Baptist Convention or has attended a Southern Baptist church. And I think that sometimes when we talk to people who have grown up in a particular denomination, there are things that you say and things that you talk about that people from that denomination are going to be super aware of. But if you haven't grown up in the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, maybe you're not going to be as familiar. So I'm just going to try to break it down for you just a little bit. The The Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Christian denomination in the United States. And that there are just millions and millions and millions of people who are members of Southern Baptist churches. 
I was actually a member of a Southern Baptist church for several years in my 20s. I had graduated from college, and my dad was pastoring at a Southern Baptist church for the first time. He had been pastor of different churches and different denominations, uh, but they actually asked me to be youth director at that church for a while, and I was the youth director for a spell at a Southern Baptist church. So I have a little taste of what it was like in a church in the SBC, but this story has more to do with the leadership in the denomination itself. And I separate those two things, not because I think that they're so completely different as far as beliefs go, or that the committee and and churches are just on completely different pages. They are on completely different pages, but I think it's not based on like core beliefs. And they're all like, hey, we're Southern Baptists, yay. But I think that when it comes to the executive committee, the height of leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention, um, they are on a completely different page than the average Southern Baptist who just attends a Southern Baptist church. Two very, very different things. So when I criticize the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, please know I am not saying that if you are a member of a Southern Baptist church, there's something wrong with that or there's something wrong with you. Uh, because I think that, again, People who attend churches and even sometimes people who pastor churches can be amazing and wonderful people who hate abuse and will fight against it and all that good stuff. Um, But the difference is that they're not trying to protect, at least not to the same degree that the executive committee is, the reputation of the Southern Baptist Convention. We'll get into it a little bit more later, but that's one of the things that I absolutely despise about denominations, because in leadership and denominations, there is always the fear. There is always that sense of needing to protect the denomination itself, whether it's the giving to the denomination or the reputation of the denomination. I just feel like it's a whole different ballgame when you get into leadership in any institution, but especially in a religious one like the SBC. So within the Southern Baptist Convention, there's something called the Ethics and Religious Liberty Committee at the ERLC, if you will. And Russell Moore was the president of the ERLC, and they create policy for the Southern Baptist Convention. You with me so far? Well, Russell Moore is very influential, very respected among Christians and within the SBC. I guess I I will say within that denomination as well, though he made quite a few enemies there before he resigned. Well, he resigned a while back as president of the ERLC. And now a letter that Moore wrote around the time that he resigned as the president has leaked. He sent this letter to the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission Board of Trustees and And he basically just outlined exactly why he was leaving and why he felt like he couldn't be affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention anymore. He hasn't just left his position as president of the ERLC. He's literally left the denomination itself. It was announced um, earlier this month that he is going to be on staff at a church in Nashville that is not affiliated with the SBC. So he's completely broken ties with the SBC. And in this letter, he basically explains why. Now, he's been criticized by people in the SBC for different reasons. Uh, One of those reasons is that he was outspoken against Donald Trump. He was a critic of the president. And I'm not here to tell you, uh, you know, whether you should like or dislike or hate or love Donald Trump or what political party you should be a part of. Not my role here at Survivor Sanctuary. 
but I'm just letting you know that in the very conservative Southern Baptist Convention, there are many, many politically conservative people as well. And he took a lot of heat for being outspoken in criticizing Donald Trump and saying that he was not morally fit to be like worshipped by the church. And because he was outspoken, yes, he took a lot of flack. But that's not why um, this big rift between Russell Moore and the executive committee happened. And again, if you're not familiar with the SBC and how it works, the executive committee is way at the top. They're like the Volturi in Twilight. You know, the Twilight series, like they are at the top. They're the people in charge. So the executive committee did not appreciate Russell Moore and some of the things that he did. And this letter outlined really what it came down to. The most pressing issue, and actually Russell Moore calls it the presenting issue, is sexual abuse. Moore writes about the executive committee and how in a spur of the moment meeting, they just randomly exonerated a bunch of churches from serious charges of covering up sexual abuse. So these churches had done something horrible. They had covered up sexual abuse. And in this just like, you know, spur of the moment meeting, they're like, all right, we absolve the churches of all wrongdoing. Just go back to business as usual, which, you know, is a problem, especially if you want to prevent sexual abuse in the church. Well, The ERLC has a national conference every year, and you might remember a couple of years ago in 2019, it was all over social media and everybody was live tweeting it, and there were people who were sexual abuse advocates there trying to, you know, raise their voices because the Southern Baptist Convention had been accused of not caring for those who had been sexually abused. So they had the Caring Well Conference. Um, Russell Moore actually interviewed Rachel Den Hollander. So if you follow her like on Twitter, on social media, or if you follow Russell Moore, you may have seen some of the tweets and some of the conversations about that. But he interviewed Rachel Den Hollander. She is the first to publicly accuse Larry Nasser, the USA gymnastics doctor, of sexual abuse. So she was speaking at this conference, or I should say that Russell Moore was interviewing her. And she very clearly criticized the executive committee. Do you criticize the Volturi? Not if you want to stay in their good graces, that's for sure. But she criticized the executive committee for how they'd handled uh, the case of a woman who had been abused sexually by a Southern Baptist Seminary professor. I would encourage you to look up the story. Her name is Jennifer Lyle, and she was abused, again, by a seminary professor and sexually abused, and this case was severely mishandled by the executive committee. And Rachel Den Hollander, who is not one to mince words, if you've heard her speak or read anything that she's written, she just says what needs to be said and doesn't worry, I think, about what the executive committee or anybody else thinks about it. And she just very accurately explained that they mishandled this case of Jennifer Lyle. You can Google her name, Jennifer Lyle, if you want to look up the story, because, you know, for our purposes here, I'm just going to go through this a little more quickly. But essentially, the executive committee tried to make it seem as though this sexual abuse had been some consensual affair between a student and a professor and really just was mistreated by the executive committee. They bullied her. They intimidated her. And Rachel Den Hollander spoke out about it at the conference, and they were unhappy with uh, Russell Moore because of that. He actually said in his letter that some of the uh, executive committee were enraged that he had let her speak. And 
The executive committee was also apparently upset that they had contributed funds to the Caring Well Conference to address sexual abuse in the church, and they didn't like the fact that the SBC, I think, was being made to look bad um, by people speaking out on stage. I mean, if you remember uh, different people speaking at those conventions, Rachel Denhollander and Boz Chavijan and others just got on stage, and, and several people just didn't mince words about how the SBC had done a really crappy job of defending victims of sexual abuse, a really crappy job of supporting victims of sexual abuse, and a really crappy job of dealing with perpetrators. In so many cases, they were covering up sexual abuse and just basically moving pastors from church to church instead of removing them from ministry and making it clear to every church that they shouldn't hire these people because they were predators of children. So there are so many stories from within the SBC about how they've mishandled sexual abuse and how they have mistreated victims. This is just one of them, the Jennifer Lyle story, um, just one of them. The way that they treated her and at the Caring Well Conference, uh, when people were outspoken, I guess that made the executive committee very upset at that time as well. And they didn't like that Russell Moore was pushing the SBC to confront sexual abuse in their midst. I'm going to quote him here because this was an important part of his letter. He actually put it in bold. He said, I'm trying to say this as clearly as I can to you, brothers and sisters. These are the tactics that have been used to create a culture where countless children have been torn to shreds, where women have been raped and then broken down. So by his own words in this letter, the main issue between the executive committee and Russell Moore was the fact that he was outspoken against sexual abuse within the SBC, and he was pushing for policy changes within the SBC to address sexual abuse, the cover-up of sexual abuse. And I would encourage you to read Russell Moore's entire letter. It's it's more than 4,000 words, so I can, I'm not going to read it here to you on the podcast today, but I would encourage you to read it. Um, He goes on to talk about the fact that he was outspoken against racism and he talked about racial reconciliation and he talked about some things that had upset him um, with members of the executive committee just saying blatantly racist things. And again, I would love to get into every single detail, but for the purposes of this podcast and keeping it to like not 90 hours, I am going to stick to the examples that he gave of sexual abuse and essentially that Russell Moore resigned, not just from his position on the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. He has left the SBC church entirely because of the things that he's seen in leadership um, in the church. Something that made me really sick to my stomach that Russell Moore said in this leaked letter was that an SBC figure told him back in 2017, he said this, we know we can't take you down. All our wives and kids are with you. This is psychological warfare to make you think twice before you do or say something. So I guess that the executive committee had like people investigating Russell Moore and kind of giving him a hard time. Like, and essentially for that reason, they couldn't take him down because all their wives and children loved him and were with him and agreed with him. Uh, So instead, they were basically engaging in psychological warfare so that he would think before he said anything that was going to upset the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Commission. Made me sick to my stomach the fact that they say 
all our wives and kids are with you, um, which I think is really telling. Like if, if all the women and children are with him, maybe he's doing something right. You know, like let the little children come unto me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And unless you become like one of these, um, but essentially they're saying like all these people are with you. Uh, however, we, as the executive committee of the SBC, think that you're wrong about how Jesus would handle this. And so we are basically going to do the next best thing. Since we can't take you down, we are going to engage in some psychological warfare, get into your head, and essentially make you miserable so that you do and say whatever we want. So I don't think it's a surprise to anybody here that the Southern Baptist Convention executive committee is a dumpster fire. Like, I think that we've known that for a good long while now. There are so many amazing advocates who speak out. I don't want to say speak out against the SBC, but I really think that that's what it's become. And the reason it's become that is because of people on the executive committee who don't look at survivors of sexual abuse as people who are representative of Christ and representative of the heart of Christ for victims of abuse. Instead, I think that the committee essentially looks at people who have been sexually abused as a problem that they unfortunately have to deal with, but are kind of annoyed that they have to deal with it. Like they think that they shouldn't have to. And I say that with confidence because yeah, there was another letter leaked. Russell Moore's second letter was addressed to President J.D. Greer of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he essentially is explaining to him the concerns that he had about the SBC, one of the reasons he had left. He actually described Southern Baptist Convention leaders mocking and insulting sex abuse survivors in private, not publicly, of course, but when they're all alone together. He said that one SBC leader called a victim of sexual abuse a whore, described some as crazy, like literal things that Russell Moore says these leaders were saying, called victims whores, called them crazy, compared them to Potiphar's wife. And if you know that story from the Bible, Potiphar's wife is the one that tried to seduce Joseph and then he ran away without his cloak and she accused him of assaulting her later. So essentially... They were calling a victim of sexual abuse Potiphar's wife, basically saying she had tried to seduce someone and then like apparently it was all fake. I'm not sure if that's what they were trying to say, but essentially saying that she was falsely accusing him. Like it makes you sick to your stomach. It just makes my stomach turn. But at the same time, my stomach is turning. There is this sense in my head that it's not surprising at all. It is not surprising that these are the kinds of things being said about victims of sexual abuse by members of the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee and other people in leadership in the SBC. It's not surprising at all. We know as survivors when we're treated the way that the SBC leadership has treated survivors of sexual abuse, you know what they're saying about you behind closed doors. It's just that feeling. You know that you are not considered someone who is equal with the people that you are talking to. You know that you're not considered as someone who has something to offer this denomination. Instead, you're viewed as a problem, as I mentioned, that has to be dealt with. And it's a problem that nobody wants to deal with. They honestly just wish that you would go away. And so behind closed doors, they're calling survivors of sexual abuse horrible names and basically accusing them of lying about the fact that they have been sexually abused. 
The Southern Baptist Church at large as a whole is never going to treat victims of sexual abuse the way that they should be treated. They are never going to root out predators in their midst if at the very top of their organization, leaders are treating sexual abuse survivors with contempt. I don't want to call it like a trickle down effect, but when the very top, you know, when that's the attitude from the top, you are never going to get reform down at the bottom. You're just not going to. And so what it sounds to me like is the ERLC was attempting through caring well and other things to address the problem of sexual abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention, but the executive committee really didn't want them to address it at all and kind of just wished the whole problem would go away. Or if it didn't go away, that they would be able to deal with it however they wanted, which apparently, according to Russell Moore's letter, was to have some spur-of-the-moment meeting where they're just like, I absolve the church leaders who covered up sexual abuse of any wrongdoing. Go about your business serving the Lord as usual. And Russell Moore rightly points out that not only does that really make the Southern Baptist Convention look terrible and immoral, but it also worse than that. And I think that, you know, making the denomination look bad, yeah, it sucks because who's going to want to be a Christian when they see Christians behaving that way? But the bigger issue, and Russell Moore does point this out, the bigger issue is that leadership like that leaves children vulnerable to being abused. When you just exonerate people who have done horrible things, covering up sexual abuse of children and you're just like, well, uh, no worries. Your get out of jail free card is right here. Just carry on. Like that puts children at risk. It puts vulnerable people at risk. And if that's how you handle sexual abuse in your church, people aren't safe in your churches. Like they just aren't. They're not safe in your denomination. They're not safe in your churches. The thing that really makes me want to gag about this letter, well, actually, not the letter itself, because I think the letter's great. I think the truth needed to be brought out into the light. Whoever leaked it, good for you, because these kinds of things need to be exposed, because it's the literal only way that anything's ever going to change. You see all the work that Russell Moore and the ERLC uh, were trying to do with Caring Well, and not that they did everything perfectly, and I know that you know there are criticisms out there, and that's uh, that's fair and that's fine, and I'm not here to say that those things were wrong. But with all the work they were trying to do, the entire time they're being fought by the people in charge. So how are you ever going to bring about change when the people in charge of the whole deal don't really want you to do what it is that you're doing? Uh, to me, it was like a PR move, like the executive committee is going to allow you to have your little Caring Well conference and allow you to release your little Caring Well booklets or whatever. We're going to allow you to do that to give the appearance that we care about sexual abuse and to give the appearance that we care about survivors uh, because that will help our image. But at the same time, we're not really going to let you do anything. And behind closed doors, we are going to call sexual abuse survivors whores call them crazy, compare them to Potiphar's wife, and bully them and intimidate them when it comes to, you know, dealing with survivors one-on-one -on -one when they're trying to come forward. So as if all the Russell Moore stuff wasn't bad enough, um, the letter was great. What we learned from the letter was really yuck. Um, 
But another email was just leaked to the press from former executive vice president of the executive committee of the SBC. His name's Augie Botto. He's also served as general counsel for the SBC. He wrote an email to someone we don't know who because the recipient was redacted, but he basically dismissed the findings of sexual abuse by pastors and leaders and volunteers in the Southern Baptist Convention churches, um, dismissed it as insignificant. Basically, he said the SBC is so huge that the number of victims that have come forward and the number of whatever, um, that this just basically like this tiny little drop in the bucket compared to the size of the SBC. So basically, he said, that the whole sexual abuse thing had been blown out of proportion. Quote, our record taken as a whole does not justify that sort of priority. Basically changing the structure of the denomination and making changes to prevent sexual abuse and to prevent the cover-up of sexual abuse. Um, He's basically saying, well, our denomination is massive and only like 793 of our pastors are actually, you know, known to be child predators. So you're blowing this out of proportion portion. Um, He also disparaged victim advocates. This part just made me completely furious. Um, He was criticizing Krista Brown, who is a survivor of sexual abuse by a pastor in the SBC, and Rachel Denhollander, who we mentioned, he basically just said that these ladies are just seeing whatever they want to see because of their past victimization. Now, this is something that is just intended to shut the mouths of anybody who is trying to speak out. You're just seeing sexual abuse everywhere because you were a victim. You're just thinking this because you were a victim, blah, 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 blah. It's a common tactic used by anyone who wants victims to be quiet. You know, you just accuse them of being led by their victimization or seeing sexual abuse everywhere because they were abused in the past. It's just basically like, shut up. I don't want to hear what you have to say. And you couldn't possibly be able to speak to this issue because you're so biased by the fact that you were sexually abused. Well, it came out after Agibato's email was released and go Rachel Denhollander, man, she made my week. I was kind of feeling a little bit blah about the whole SBC crap. I mean, I already knew the dumpster fire that was the SBC, uh, its leadership anyway. We've been hearing about it for years. It's nothing new and it's nothing surprising. I don't think anybody listening to this that knows anything about the SBC is thinking, what a shock that those nice men in the executive committee are saying bad things about survivors and they don't really care about sexual abuse and they want us to go away. I mean, I don't think any of us are surprised by that at all. So I was kind of feeling blah, but Rachel Denhollander just made me feel a lot better because, you know, she just is outspoken as always and kind of hands handling uh, what's being fired at her. So Agibato criticized her. So she went on Twitter and she actually told us about something that Augie and the USA Gymnastics have in common. And if you follow Rachel Denhollander on Twitter, you've got to read her thread uh, where she tells the story about Becca Seaborn, who came forward about being sexually abused by a coach in USA Gymnastics, not Larry Nasser. This is a different coach that Augie actually tried to protect this man in 2018. He actually used his Southern Baptist Church credentials to try and protect this man. I guess that the coach who was accused was also coaching Bado's son, and he attended, not not his son, but Augie himself actually attended this entire trial in 2003. And his explanation for attending the trial, even though he really wasn't friends with this guy, he attended this trial because, and I quote, he took an interest in 
in it. And Rachel Den Hollander shares that Becca's testimony at trial was very graphic and horrible. And she finds it interesting that Augie attended the trial and sat through all of the testimony just because he was interested in it. Then in 2018, and here's where I feel like it's very damning evidence against Augie Botto. In 2018, the coach who was incarcerated for sexual abuse, he had been convicted, um, he appealed his case. And this is in 2018, years after the trial. And Botto was still interested enough in this case to come back and testify for the defendant as an expert witness, and he actually used his SBC credentials to be certified as an expert so that he could testify as an expert in this trial. And here's the crazy thing about the timeline, that Becca's story happened. Then Rachel Denhollander came forward in 2016. Then there was Larry's sentencing and the exposure of everything in USA Gymnastics, and she says that all peaked in about January of 2018. And Augie Botto came to this pedophile's defense. He had been convicted, and there, there wasn't just one child that accused him. Multiple children did. And after all of this happened, he tried to help this pedophile overturn his conviction and get out of prison. What on earth? Like, it's bad enough that you don't want to help victims of sexual abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention. It's bad enough that you don't want to create policies and make changes that are going to protect the vulnerable and that are going to help people who've already been hurt by abuse. It's bad enough, but it really sucks that you're going to trials of people you don't have personal relationships with so that you can help to overturn their conviction for pedophilia, child molestation, for sexually assaulting children. That's what this SBC executive committee leader, he's a former leader, I should say, uh, was spending his time doing. So not only are they not helping people in the Southern Baptist churches to become better at caring for the abused and preventing abuse and responding well to abuse, not only are they not helping with that, it almost seems like they're working for the other side here. And that story, like, I, I can't believe that that hasn't been a bigger story. Like, I have a feeling that something's going to come out that's going to make mainstream news. It, it has to. That, that to me, is a big story, uh, what Rachel Den Hollander was uh, tweeting about. So I didn't just want to share all of this to just talk about what a disaster the SBC Executive Committee is or to say, yeah, we were right when we thought they didn't care at all about survivors of sexual abuse or changing abuse in the church. Instead, what they're essentially saying is the abuse is not that big of a deal and you know survivors need to be quiet and basically stop talking and we need to move on from this because it really shouldn't be the focus of our mission. So one thing I actually think I forgot to share about Botto's leaked email was not only was he dismissing everything about sexual abuse and victim advocates, but he actually called the movement to address sex abuse in the SBC, and I'm quoting here, a satanic scheme to completely distract us from evangelism. Yes, helping those who have been hurt 
and who have been sexually abused, especially within the Church of Jesus Christ. That's a satanic scheme right there. It's a satanic scheme for people to expose darkness because it distracts from evangelism. I got to say, that is the biggest load of horse manure I have ever heard in my entire life. And the fact that people who are supposed to be men of God say things like this drives me absolutely nuts. And the reason it does is because it doesn't reflect the heart of God. It doesn't reflect the compassion of Jesus Christ. It does not reflect the person whom the SBC was created for. If, in fact, it was created for Jesus, sometimes I wonder because a lot of the time it doesn't seem like the leadership in the SBC are actually very concerned at all with the heart of God. And I think that until the hearts of people in leadership, like that's what that's the thing here. That they say all this stuff and they do all this stuff. And I think it's indicative of the condition and the position, the posture of their hearts toward God and toward humanity. Until their hearts are actually broken over the abuse that has devastated so many people in the SBC, it is not ever going to be a safe denomination for any vulnerable person or for any abused person. And when I say it's not a safe denomination for the vulnerable, I mean it's not safe for kids. It isn't safe for your kids to be a part of this denomination that its leaders are not broken over the fact that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of their leaders are pedophiles who are sexually assaulting children. Like it's not safe for you to take your kiddos to churches like that. They're not safe for the vulnerable and they're definitely not safe for the abused. If you know that behind closed doors, you're going to be called a whore, going to be compared to Potiphar's wife, essentially saying you're faking your sexual assault and you're like making false accusations or you were the person trying to seduce your perpetrator. Are you freaking kidding me? Like how re-traumatizing for a victim of sexual abuse. Like not only is it insensitive to the abused, it's actually re-traumatizing for them. Um, but until their hearts are actually broken over this abuse, nothing is going to be safe for, for the vulnerable or for the abused until they're infuriated. And I would say until they're more infuriated by abuse and the people who enable it and cover it up than they are by people like Rachel Denhollander and Krista Brown who are speaking out against abuse until they're more infuriated by the abuse than by those people speaking out against it. The SBC is not going to be a safe denomination for the vulnerable or for the abused. In other words, until they feel about abuse the way Jesus himself feels about abuse, they're not safe. They're not safe people and they're not a safe denomination. And I would say this, what does it say about the leaders in the SBC if they don't have the heart of Jesus? Like, what does it say about you? To me, it says that on the outside, you look great, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. They're whitewashed tombs. And I know that that's harsh and people are going to say, you can't see people's hearts and you don't, you, but actually you kind of can see people's hearts when they're saying the stuff that they're saying and doing behind closed doors, that's their heart. That's who they are. And there is no excuse for any denomination ever anywhere to try and cover anything up or keep anything in darkness. If you represent the truth and you are concerned with truth and Jesus himself is truth, so you definitely should be, you should never be worried about anything being exposed. You should never have a reason to be worried about things being exposed. 
the level of cover-up in this denomination, and it comes from the top, the lengths that they go to to keep people quiet and to keep things under wraps, and then the anger they express at anybody who tries to expose the truth, that is revealing. It's revealing of where their hearts actually are, and they're not with Jesus. The Sorry, but that's, that's not. And I'll say this. There's all this talk about how many hundreds of thousands of people have left the Southern Baptist Convention. There's all this talk of what do we do to keep our doors open? What do we do to keep, you know, the younger generation engaged? Well, I will say this. If you've got to cater to racists or to pedophiles in order to keep your denomination alive, you should just go ahead and pull the plug. Because what in the heck are you doing? Like, what are you doing for the kingdom of God? What are you doing? And it just reminds me of the scripture where Jesus himself said this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. When I was growing up, I was always, and I don't know if this is necessarily exactly how it was taught to me, but I can't think of the reason why I would always have this kind of vision pop into my head. But whenever I heard, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What I always thought was about like people say like at a music award show who are dancing in like Daisy Dukes with their butts hanging out and (laughs) cleavage everywhere and singing about sex. And then, you know, they go to the microphone and they're like, I just want to thank God. And I want to thank my Lord and Savior. And like as a kid, to me, that was the not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, because I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you're wearing provocative clothing and you're singing a secular song and you're in a secular business. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But you know what? The examples that Jesus gives of not the, of the not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, those examples are not of people who are living life out in the secular world. His examples were like, we cast out demons in your name, and we preached in your name, and we did this in your name. He's talking about people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, who are actually, to the natural eye at least, serving God. It's those who do the will of the Father who are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So let me ask you, SBC Executive Committee, real quick, is it God's will for church leaders to cover up evil? Is it? Is it God's will to support the men who help cover up this evil? Is it God's will that we just not talk about the fact that pedophiles are infiltrating this denomination and others and sexually assaulting little kids? Like, is that God's will? No, it's not. And in scripture, we have examples. We are to expose the evil deeds of darkness. Expose them. Everything is going to be brought out into the light. Everything. That's our promise from scripture. Everything's going to be brought out into the light. So why is the SBC executive committee trying so hard to keep everything in darkness? To keep it under wraps. So they, oh, we just, the excuse is, this is just a scheme of the devil to keep us from evangelism. That's a load of crap. It's not a scheme of the devil. Caring for the vulnerable and abused and calling out the disgusting evil that allows the sexual assault of children, we can safely say that is the heart of God. It is never the heart of God to defend or cover up for or enable an oppressor, a predator. Never. 
The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He doesn't hide the bodies when the wolves break in and kill them or rip their bodies to shreds. He doesn't like cover it up and act like it never happened. He lays down his life for the sheep. And I see a whole heck of a lot of none of that happening in the SBC executive committee. Didn't mean to get fired up about this necessarily, but it's in the news this week. I've gotten fired up about it. The fact that there is corruption in the SBC leadership, that's not surprising. None of us are surprised by that. But it's one thing to have a hunch about what people are saying behind your back. It's another thing to see it printed in black and white. These people do not represent Jesus Christ. When stuff like this is happening, when they're saying these things and doing these things, they don't. And I know I might sound judgmental or or whatever, but hey, if somebody claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and that's the fruit they're bearing, I'm questioning it. And on that happy note, I'm going to let you go for this episode. As always, thank you so much for joining me. If you're a part of an SBC church, I want to hear what you have to say about all this. Uh, So join us in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook page and share your experience. If it's something that you want to share, if you've experienced abuse um, by someone in the SBC church, Uh, I'd love to talk to you even on the podcast about your experience in the denomination and and your story and your treatment. I want to know because, I mean, I have limited experience in the SBC. All I can personally know is the little bit that I experienced and the lot bit that I've read about over the last like five or six years since I started advocating. Um, But we'd love to hear your story. So if you want to share, if there's anything you want to add to this conversation, of course, uh, we definitely want to hear it. So join us on the Survivor Sanctuary podcast podcast, Facebook group. And again, if you're not a member, you have to request to join and answer one very simple uh, membership question and I'll let you into the group. I will catch you next time on another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Take care. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.